Welcome to Stu's EV Universe, where you can find anything and everything electric vehicle. Yeah, today on the podcast, I have the pleasure of having Joel Levin, who's executive director of Plug in America. Thank you for joining me today, Joel. Uh, thank you, Stuart. It's really exciting to be here. Yeah, no, I'm thrilled about this. Um, obviously, big Plug in America fan. Uh, we've been, you know, doing ride and drives through Evolve KY, the the chapter that I co-founded here in Kentucky for years, um, and uh, you know, a. Uh, Argument can be made that we wouldn't be where we're at if it wasn't for Plug in America, and I think that's a solid argument. Can you? I, I think the vast majority of the people listening will have a good understanding of Plug in America, but for those that are are new to this, can you kind of just give a little bit of a, a thumbnail of uh, maybe your history and, and what you're all about? Uh, sure, happy to. So we are the national consumer voice for electric vehicles. We're the uh, National Association of EV Drivers around the country and uh, in policy discussions, we try to make sure that the, the voice of consumer is heard. Um, so it very often happens that uh, there's a, some policy debate going on somewhere and there's people from government and utilities and automakers and charging networks. And they're all discussing some issue and they've utterly forgotten that people need to buy these cars and drive them or none of this matters. Um, and so we try to bring that perspective into policy discussions. And then we also do uh, a ton of EV outreach and public education. We're pretty much the national leaders on that. We coordinate National Drive Electric Week and Drive Electric Earth Day. I, I know you guys have done many, many events before uh, with those two campaigns. Uh, we've been around for probably 20 years. Uh, anyone who has seen the uh, film Who Killed the Electric Car knows about our early days. That's sort of our prehistory when a, a group of passionate EV activists got their hands on the first generation of commercial electric vehicles and then had them yanked away and they were really upset about it. And that started the whole movement that turned into Don't Crush that turned into Plug in America. And those early activists, some of them are still very involved. Some of them are on the board even today. So yeah, that's kind of where we came from. We've evolved a fair bit from uh, those early days of, of kind of street protests and you know street theater and so forth. But we still have that DNA and we're still um, you know, want to, to represent EV drivers and, and call people out when we need to. Yeah, and um, what what is it that you drive these days? So I have two cars. I have a 2015 Nissan Leaf and a 2012 uh, Chevy Volt, and they're both doing great. Um, I charge mostly in my driveway. I have a, a Clipper Creek charger that I use uh, for for my two vehicles. We bring them a lot to events, and my my favorite thing about having these two cars is. They're both, you know, older, kind of relatively inexpensive EVs, and very frequently we'll be doing ride and drives, and people will be like, well, EVs are great, but those are for rich people. I can never afford an EV. And I'm like, my friend, you can afford either of these cars, and I have 
essentially no maintenance on either of these cars. I have to rotate the tires sometimes. That's about it. Yeah, and actually, I, I did a little bit of research, so I, I was hoping that you would have the answer that you had because uh, I'm in the same boat. I have uh, a 2011 Nissan Leaf uh, in ocean blue, and my wife drives a 2012 Chevy Volt, so uh, very similar. And, yeah, I love that. I love when people... You know, it's kind of myth-busting. You know, people will say, oh, but, you know, you have to replace the battery pack. And and I'm like, I have, you know, 150,000 miles on one car and almost 200,000 miles on the other car. I, You know, I've gotten my money's worth from these cars, and they're still running strong. So, indeed, I, you know, it, it's, it's getting to a time when... Um, a lot of these newer vehicles are capturing the spotlight, which is absolutely great. But I think there there is something about these kind of, uh, you know, early EVs that tell a story, too, that's very valuable. So that's really cool. Most of what I wanted to talk today about was the Inflation Reduction Act. I know that Plug in America, you know, this seems like it came out of nowhere. But I know that Plug in America has laid some foundation and has been working hard at, you know, extending these tax, uh, you know, benefits uh, to folks. Um, because for a lot of manufacturers, they ran out a long time ago. And uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. So Plug in America has been involved with these credits ever since they were initially adopted. So the original bill was actually signed by George W. Bush and was um, was kind of a Republican initiative, weirdly enough. Uh, so and that was in 2008, a long time ago. So we've known for a long time that the credits would eventually uh, give out because they had a cap by manufacturer. So General Motors and Tesla have lost their credits or they've, they've, they've used them all up. And um, Toyota actually is in the phase down process right now. And so we have been advocates for extending the credits now for many, many years. I've been here seven years and this was a top priority for Plug in America even before I arrived. So at least a decade, probably longer. We've been advocating for an extension of these credits and we have probably generated somewhere close to 50,000 letters and emails and visits and phone calls to Congress over the years um, about this extension. It's something we've, we've been working on over and over and over again uh, through Republican and Democratic administrations. Uh, and, you know, we've gotten close. Uh, we actually got it uh, adopted by Congress and sent to the president's desk a couple of years ago, uh, back when Donald Trump was our president. And um, he declined to sign it and actually had to come out of the bill. He threatened to veto the whole budget of the United States uh, over this one credit. He felt so strongly about it. Um, so we've been working on this for a really long time. We're thrilled to get it through. It is not perfect. Uh, it has uh, a number of pretty major flaws in it, I would say, in the, the uh, variant that we have right now, which was sort of the end result of negotiations between Joe Manchin and the rest of the Senate, uh, you know, Chuck Schumer. But it is what it is. Uh, overall, the bill is incredibly, the law is incredibly important. It has many great things to, to be excited about. And we feel like this is really going to advance EVs quite a lot. In the short term, the consumer tax credit 
has a number of, of really difficult things in it that are going to make it hard to use. There's already discussion in Congress about trying to clean it up uh, and make it uh, easier for, for people to access. Will that happen? I don't know. But I can tell you we will, I'm sure, be in the middle of it and pushing for that. Uh, so it's it's very significant. So I'll, I'll start with that. We can dive into the weeds if you want. Yeah, I mean, I guess just uh, broadly, $7,500 for new EVs. Um, that's something that's on the table. $4,000 for pre-owned EVs, which uh, personally I'm excited about. I think that's great. Some of the parameters and limitations. Um, my understanding is trucks have to cost less than $80,000. Um, sedans, cars need to be less than $55,000 and vehicles need to be assembled um, in North America. So um, is that going to cut some people out? I, I found it interesting. I think there was just an article this past week that Hyundai has started talks about uh, building a plant, I think, in Georgia, the state of Georgia, um, because maybe not the only reason, but they, they don't want to be left out. You know, um, some of the you know, winners, if you will, uh, right off the top of my head, I'm thinking Tesla, GM, uh, Ford that are, are making investments already here. What do you think some of the, you know, some of the fallout, I suppose, good fallout is for something like this? Yeah. So there's a lot of states that are going to see a big increase in EV and battery manufacturing. Uh, you mentioned Georgia. Georgia's at the top of the list of states that is actually going to really benefit from this bill. There's, you know, tens of thousands of EV jobs that are flowing to Georgia. As you know, Kentucky, West Virginia are also going to get uh, big uh, new factories. Um, numerous other states. There's I've seen a map that has, you know, dots all the way across the U.S. Uh, there's an area they're now referring to as the Battery Belt, where they think there's just going to be a huge uh, investments in. Um, mining and processing and battery manufacturing. So I think there's going to be quite a lot of, of different states that, that benefit from, from the, the bill and from manufacturing. Tesla and GM, of course, will, will benefit because their credits have already used up. All the EV manufacturers will because there's credits for them to uh, retrofit their factories, to um, build uh, new battery capacity. Um, and then there's of course, there's investment, there's credits for heavy duty vehicles as well, which are really, really important uh, for trucks, you know, up to 30% of the cost of a truck, depending on the situation. Um, so there's a there's a, a number of, of different credits for investment and things. Well, yeah, the uh, the semi trucks, electric semis, I think, isn't it $40,000 um, right off the top is my understanding? Um, up to that, yeah. Up to that. Okay, I mean that's hu that's huge. Now batteries. Um, there's also, I guess, getting into the weeds a little bit. There's also has to do with battery materials. Um, isn't there some language that has to do with batteries being made here and and all of that too? Yes. So to get the credit, it's divided in half. Um, half of it, in order to get it, the starting January first. A certain percentage of the battery components need to be manufactured and assembled here in the U.S., and then and that percentage creeps up every year. And then the other half of it to get that credit, a certain percentage of the battery minerals need to be mined and uh, 
processed in, in North America. And so that's going to drive, I mean, there's already big investments in batteries that's going to accelerate that. Uh, and then in mining and mineral processing as well. Um, it's going to be challenging, particularly the mineral processing, since most minerals for EV uh, batteries, wherever they start from in the world, they flow through China and the minerals get processed in China. So shifting that whole uh, supply chain is not something you can do overnight. That's something that will take a few years, I would imagine. So it will be challenging initially for a lot of manufacturers to get that, com that, 50, that component of the credit, I think. In terms of who will get it, who won't, I don't know. Uh, I suspect nobody knows right now. People are, are trying to figure that out because it, there's a long supply chain associated with cars and I, I think it's difficult to go up the supply chain and figure out all the different vendors and, and who supplies what value and how do you calculate that. So it's, it'll be difficult and it'll, it's going to be a few months before we'll know which vehicles will, will comply. Now is uh, like the last go round with uh, the tax stuff, is there a cap? Is, you know, is there a certain number of vehicles and then it goes away or is it just uh, open-ended at this point? Um, there's a sunset date of 2032. So 10 years. Okay. That is a long time. And, and it's like, I think for so many of us that are kind of in this on a daily basis and fighting the fight, <laughs> the good fight, you know, we look at this and we think, okay, well, this all would be great if the cost, you know, there wasn't the supply and demand issue going on right now. I mean, demand is really, really high and supply is really, really low. So you're hearing about big, big dealer markups, people paying, you know, uh, a lot of money for these cars and not everybody can afford that. So, um, I mean, that's what it looks like right now. Uh, I'm wondering, you know, short term, mid term, long term, do you see that changing? I mean, it, it seems like for this to be successful, it vehicles have to be offered at a lower price point and they have to be compel compelling vehicles because we're asking people to, a lot of times it's their first EV to change their habits. Um, so where do, you, where do you see that going from this point? Right. So in terms of compelling vehicles, the news is good. There's, there's some really nice EVs on the market right now and the selection of vehicles is going to just keep getting better pretty rapidly. Uh, so I think you're going to see some really exciting cars coming to market in the next year. And the volume uh, is going to accelerate quite a lot. Um, just GM and Ford alone have committed to build, between the two of them, a million EVs next year. Uh, that's a lot. That is substantial. That's like, right. yeah, that's like Tesla, you know. So um, I think we're going to see selection and uh, 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 the volume of vehicles being produced increase substantially, but I think that demand is going to increase even faster. So relatively speaking, I think it's go it will continue to be difficult to get. I mean, it's not impossible to buy an EV. Lots of people are buying them. They're, you know, in June, they were 8% of all new cars sold in the U.S. Um, and I think that will increase pretty steadily over time, but it's going to still be difficult to buy them for a while. Uh, the supply chain challenges that we're having will be with us for many months. You know, I, I would expect uh, 
it could be a year before it starts to get significantly easier to just walk into a dealer and buy a car. Um, so if you're interested in buying an EV, I, I wouldn't wait necessarily thinking that things are going to get easier or that, um, you know, you're waiting the next year to see what the credit looks like. I think the, the relative uh, amount of supply available could get, could get worse before it gets better. Yeah, and that's the other fear, I think, is that um, with this good news, people might very well think, oh, you know, uh, I'll put this on hold because, you know, I want my money back on my taxes, which, uh, you know, we're, we're going into Drive Electric Week. Um, I think of those of us that have cars that we want to show and want to talk to people, um, we want to be able to say that cars are available and they're available at a, a reasonable price. But I, I guess perhaps that might not be the case, you know, again, in the short term. Well, they're available. It's not, it's not like no one's buying them at all. Uh, there's, okay. like I said, there, June was an all-time high for, we, I'm talking about June because the numbers just came out. Um, it was sort of an all-time high for EV sales. There were over 90,000 sold in the U.S. and it was 8% of, of new car sales. That's fantastic. That's a big increase. So it's not like there's no, no sales going on. You just, you need to sort of hustle and figure out where the vehicles are available. And I, I guess I would say, to keep things in perspective, new cars have become ridiculously expensive. All new cars are very expensive. Uh, the last number I saw is that uh, the average new car sale in the U.S. is forty-eight thousand dollars. That is that is really a lot of money for a car. Um, so EVs have 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 increased in price along with that. But if you com if you compare an EV apples to apples with an equivalent gas car, and you look at the total cost of ownership, um, including uh, the cost of fuel, which is dramatic, you know, electricity versus gas, it's dramatically cheaper. It's probably a third the price. It's, you know, depending where you live in the country and how you fuel, it's somewhere between a dollar and two dollars a gallon equivalent to gasoline versus gas, which is, you know, depending where you live is between four dollars and probably five fifty. Um, so it could be a third the price of gas. Um, and then the maintenance uh, Consumer Reports uh, recently came out with a report that said that um, maintaining an EV is about half the price of maintaining a gas car over the uh, life of the car. I, I can't even imagine how it's that high. I mean, with, okay. with my, my Leaf, uh, you know, basically I have to rotate the tires and change the tires once in a while and put in some wiper fluid, and that's about it, you know, with a car that's seven years old now. Um, there's just, and you probably know that as well with your vehicles, there's just not a lot of, uh, maintenance because there's not a lot of moving parts. And so over the life of the vehicle, I think apples to apples, EVs are cheaper than gas cars now. Uh, not just looking at the MSRP, but maintenance and fuel. And the fact that I think with, with modern EVs, people are going to see that they last longer, that, that, you know, everyone's worried about the batteries wearing out. But I saw a study recently that suggested that on average, EV batteries are at about 90% after 100,000 miles. So, you know, you could get 200, 300,000 miles out of your EV if you want to, uh, which you can't do with a gas car. So, yes, they're expensive. Uh, yes, gas cars are expensive. But I think comparing them, I don't think they're more expensive than gas cars if you look at the whole price of it.
Yeah, I love telling folks that, you know, don't really know that much about all of this stuff. Um, my Leaf has 150,000 miles on it, and I've never touched the brakes, you know, no brake pads, rotors, nothing, you know, and it's, uh, I call it the miracle of regenerative braking. And, and people are amazed, you know. I mean, I had so many gas and diesel cars before I got my EV, and uh, it's just wonderful to not have to spend that kind of money, you know. And for some folks that, that really are, you know, living more on the edge, that extra money could be a huge difference. Um, so, you know, that kind of story is, is valuable out there as well. How, uh, how is your battery holding up after 150,000 miles? Well, I, as you can imagine, I have, I have a 2011. So uh, 2011, 12, and half of 13 um, had that uh, battery chemistry that, that wasn't, wasn't as good, you know, and there are some good things about being, you know, first to market and there are some less than good things. And the class action suit for Nissan was probably one of the, you know, the less wonderful things. So um, I had that replaced at about 60,000 miles uh, under warranty. So I was fortunate with that. Uh, a lot of people weren't as fortunate and are understandably upset about that. But, you know, people are, people do ask the battery question and uh, I feel like I have a really good answer that comes out of, you know, intimate, you know, knowledge, my own knowledge that um, if you buy a, you know, a 2014 or newer EV, you're good. You know, I mean, I, my, the replacement battery pack was probably a 2015 and it has just about full capacity still. And I don't, I don't baby it. A lot of people with EVs do like the, the 2080 thing and they, they really analyze everything um, and they, they adjust their charging habits and, and all that. You know, I don't. Um, I just drive it and enjoy it. Um, now my son is driving it and drives it probably more than I do. Um, he, he definitely doesn't baby it. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's, it's really great. And um, I mean, that's one of the things with Plug in America and, and doing all these ride and drives throughout the nation is, you know, we get to tell our stories. We've become the salespeople, you know. I, I can't think of another kind of movement where there's so many volunteers that give up their time so freely to do something uh, that they believe in, you know, and uh, that just kind of keeps, keeps moving on. Yeah, Drive Electric Week is there's something just sort of miraculous to me about how it comes together every year uh, because, you know, Plug in America, we're in terms of staff, a relatively small organization, but 98% of all the effort for Drive Electric Week is local city captains and volunteers and people who are so passionate about this technology that many of them year after year, you know, I know people who like take a week or two off of work every year to put on their event uh, because they feel like they know this secret about EVs and they want to share it with people. We all the time will see a new event pop up in some city where there's never been one before. We're like, where'd that come from? Who, who did that? You know, it's like someone who went to an event last year and they're like, I want to do that. Yeah. And it's a lot of work. I mean, uh, as someone that has been a city captain for several years, it's a lot of work, you know, and, and it could be extremely small or you can get sponsorships and you can go really, really big, you know. Um, but I think the bottom line is for everybody, it, it ends up being very rewarding. So that's absolutely great. We're at a point now where it, it, it seems like we've hit the turning point 
for electric vehicle adoption, you know, and we could kind of step back a little bit and enjoy things kind of progressing. What what do you see in the future, you know, this going forward, the the is the role of Plug-in America going to stay the same? Is it going to change? Where, where do you see the organization going? It's a good question. Uh, we talk about that a lot, you know, uh, and, and I think my, my big fear is that we will hit a plateau, that the the people for whom it's easy to buy an EV will be will will get there in the next couple of years, and that there's some risk that we don't go beyond that. So if you're um, a, a city dweller in a house uh, that sort of middle income can 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 buy you know can buy new cars, that the, for those people it's it's relatively straightforward, but if you're, um, you know, you're in a rural area and you, you know, you go long distances and you drive a truck or a big SUV, those pe- that market is not even barely touched yet, you know? So there's a huge swath of this country where people are just barely being exposed to EVs because the vehicles that met their needs didn't exist yet. Uh, so that's, that's a big challenge that still lies ahead of us um, for People in cities who live in apartments, um, I think there's a tremendous challenge figuring out how do we make it convenient for for them. Um, Particularly if you live in an older apartment building that it's really difficult to like retrofit and put charging in for everybody. There's there's not one perfect solution for charging. It's going to be a mix of, you know, installing some charging in buildings, using level one for some people, charging at work public charging kind of in your neighborhood, like like curbside charging or DC fast charging at your supermarket. So there's there's a bunch of different solutions for that. So I, my, my fear is is that we kind of hit a plateau where it's sort of the, the people for whom it's easy and convenient to buy an EV, we get there pretty quick and then it stalls out with everybody else. So I, I still think if our goal is to get to 100% by 2035, there's, there's a number of still really challenging pieces in our future that we haven't totally figured out yet. Yeah, and I, I say this very frequently, but it's it's absolutely true. And I haven't been out to California in, a, in quite a while, and I, I need to rectify that. It's a whole different thing here in Kentucky and surrounding. I mean, we live in Louisville, and uh, yeah, Louisville is a lot different, obviously, than some of the more remote parts of the state. But we do outreach. We we install EV chargers, level two chargers, throughout the state and and uh, neighboring states. And so we talk to Rotary clubs and Chamber of Commerce and. Um, civic groups, and we get a lot of great questions. We get a lot of folks that are delving into this, you know, fear-based, wrong information, and we have to kind of do some myth-busting from time to time, and we're, we're getting better at that. But we definitely find there, there even is some hostility that, that we run into um, with folks that are wedded to their big trucks and, and fuel and um, it's like an emotional thing for them or a political thing for them. And so the challenges end up being very real, you know, still for us here. Um, and I'm, you know, I envy you all because, you know, I, I understand their EVs are everywhere, which is wonderful. And, and we're getting there, you know, but I think it, yeah, definitely is harder for 
um, other parts of this country. Yeah, and, and I think the, the way that we're going to get there is, you know, particularly in rural areas where people drive trucks, is to show off what these trucks can do. Because, in fact, they have remarkable capabilities. If you've seen uh, the new Rivian or the Ford Lightning perform, they could do some crazy stuff, you know. And so right. I, I think what's going to sell people is not, you know, sort of in a vacuum thinking, oh, I need to migrate those vehicles perform. And the fact that like with the Lightning, it has 11 plugs on it, including, you know, exporting 220 power. So you can basically have a whole suite of construction equipment running off of your truck, um, including like heavy duty equipment. Or if you're a farmer and you need power out in a field to repair something, you can do that. So you've got all this cool stuff that is just simply not possible now or is really awkward and difficult that you can do with this vehicle. Um, the Rivian, they claim it can drive through three feet of standing water. I mean, like, really? That's, that's a pretty remarkable ability. And so I, I think that once those trucks get out there more widely and people see the features of the vehicle and what you can do with it, and they discover that you're not spending four or 500 bucks a month on fuel, uh, which is like people do it. I mean, fuel can be a really expensive cost. And the idea that, you know, you can charge at home or you put in some solar panels and then your fuel is free. Um, I think that's, that's what's going to sell people is the, the capabilities of the vehicle. Well, I mean, is there anything that I didn't mention that you'd like to talk about? I, I also, you know, where people can find plug in America, uh, if you do have, information, and I realize that information is going to be evolving, if you will, um, on the Inflation Reduction Act, um, because that seems to be a real point of conversation these days. People really want to know what the nuts and bolts are, and they want to know how it's going to affect them and, and you know, uh, their communities. So um, I would say a couple of things. So uh, I, I think if you get our newsletter, we just did a blog uh, just a couple of days ago that kind of summarized the tax credit uh, benefits in the Inflation Reduction Act. So um, you could pull that out and, and share that link with people. Um, for people who are looking at getting a vehicle, um, plugstar.com kind of walks you through the whole process of, of buying an EV. And there's, there's a function in there that'll show you which benefits you're eligible for. So in many parts of the country, there's a state incentive, there's utility incentives, there's local incentives, there's actually quite a lot. And you can plug in your zip code and it'll tell you exactly what you're eligible for. Um, and then I would also encourage people to go check out National Drive Electric Week. It's coming up in about a month and um, driveelectricweek.org, you can go to the website We've now got, as of today, about 215, I think, events that are registered and will probably be over 300 by the you know, time we get there, hopefully even more. So they're almost wherever you live, there's probably an event nearby somewhere in the country. And so that's kind of the single best way to go check out the new vehicles, talk to drivers, find out how people feel about their cars. One thing that we're seeing this year for the first time is a lot of people who are 
on the waiting list for an EV uh, or have already purchased one and it hasn't been delivered and they have never been able to see it or test drive it. And so they're coming to events because the dealers just don't have them that they can actually drive the car and see how they feel about it. Uh, so that's, we're, we're seeing that for the first time and you know we're happy to help out with that where we can. That's great. Yeah, I mean, I don't remember a time when people would buy cars without seeing them and touching them and driving them. So uh, strange times, but yeah, it's like all us EV owners, Plug in America, and the whole community is is there to help. So that's that's just a wonderful thing to see. Um, well, thank you again for coming on the podcast. Really appreciate it, and really really appreciate your time. Uh, thank you, my pleasure. This is fun. It's a it's a fun it's exciting. It's about the most fun time to be in the EV space that you can imagine. So this is all good. I like it. Excellent. Thank you again. Thank you for listening to this episode of Stu's EV Universe. I would like to thank Eden Unger for creating the artwork and the music for this episode. Remember, please rate, review, subscribe, and share, as that's the only way we can continue to grow. Now you can support us on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash EVU. Remember, the EV revolution runs on your energy. I'm Stuart Unger. See you next time.